Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. Well, now we turn our attention to God's Word, and we're going to continue in our sermon series. And so to do that, I'd like to throw out this uh, scenario. For those of you who probably resonate with my generation or age, I grew up, uh, I was born in the 80s, I grew up in the 90s, and one of the key things that happened in culture at the time was Michael Jordan. Everybody remember Michael Jordan? Like, oh yes, watching the Bulls play, like it was pretty awesome to watch him shoot the basketball, to drill. like he's just so good. And so like you just, yeah, like I want to be like Mike. And that's exactly what Nike taught us, right? Be like Mike, right? You want to be like Mike, you want to buy the Air Jordan, you want to, you know. And that was, that, was a, that was a phrase, that was a thing that was happening at the time, right? Like Michael Jordan was such, a, such an iconic sort of moment in, in our culture at the time. And so like, being a kid of the 90s, like, yeah, I, I want to be like Mike. And I share this and remind you of this and date myself, whether you think that's really young or really old, I don't know. But like, I share this moment in history to illustrate an idea that, that does permeate, right? We have idols. And don't hear that in the maybe Christian reaction sense of like, oh, and like, but people that we want to be like, right? Examples or exemplars, like people that we kind of look up to, like we want to be like them. Today in our text, that's actually one of the things that's happening. Paul is sharing about himself and setting himself as an example. Someone to maybe model or or emulate. Someone that we can look at and say, yeah, I want to be like that. He's offering himself to us as a way to illustrate all that he's been talking about in the letter so far. So, again, we're in this series we're looking at the book of Colossians. And so week one, if you weren't here, here's, here's where we've come from so far. Week one, we looked at this idea in verse 10. I'm going to throw it up on the screen. Live a life worthy of the Lord. He, he gets there pretty quick. He says, I'm so thankful for you. I've, I've heard about you. And now here's my, my challenge to you. Live a life worthy of the Lord. And we, we paused on that and just let that sink in for a moment. And I don't know about you, if you were here, but even in this moment, when you hear that, what stirs in your mind? For me, it's like, oh boy, I don't, I don't know if I can do that. I don't feel worthy. What does it look like to live a life worthy? Like, that's a, probably a high standard. Like, ooh. And we just rested in that moment. Just hearing the the significance of that call, allowing ourselves to experience the live a life worthy of the Lord, that's a big deal. But Paul is offering that as the challenge, like, do this, live a life worthy of the Lord. And and he showed us how it's, it's the gospel. It's not something that we have to, like, work towards, earn, or, or make happen, like, we can't. Gospel shows us we can't earn this. We have to receive it. And so week one, we heard the call to live a life worthy of the Lord as something that we receive from Jesus. But then week two, what, why that call? Why, why should we or what's this all about? Paul 
crafts this beautiful um, picture of, of who Jesus is. And that's, that's where we camped last week. And we saw that Jesus is above everything. So verse 17, there's a whole bunch of different ideas throughout this entire section. But here's one that just captures, I think, the heart of it. Jesus, he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. He is king. He sits on the throne, but he's, he's creator, and he's made everything. And he's sustainer. Everything holds together with him. And he's redeemer. He's the one who saves. So we look at Jesus, and we see this picture of supremacy. He is before everything. He's the greatest thing. He should be sitting on the throne. And we saw that last week. Like Jake, one of our elders, brought this message and he just helped us see like it's all about Jesus. And so we live a life worthy of the Lord. Why? Because of Jesus. Of who he is. He is supreme. He is better than everything. And that's what Paul wants us to see. Jesus is, is above everything. Well, today looking at where we've come from so far, live a life worthy, and it's all because of Jesus, I want to ask this question. What difference does it make? If this is true, like we're called to live a life worthy, and we do that by the gospel, the gospel is good news, and it's all because Jesus is is greater than anything else, what difference does it make? That's what Paul wants to address. And he's going to do so using his own life, using himself as an example. He's going to say, here, look, look at me. Let me show you what difference it makes. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to answer this question. What difference does the gospel, does Jesus, this whole thing that Paul has been talking about so far, what difference does it make if it's true and if we follow it? And we're going to look at two aspects. We're going to see two aspects come in this text to answer this question. Now, there's many others we could probably talk about. But to answer the question, we're going to look at two things. So, if you would, grab your Bibles. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to pick up where we left off. Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at verses 24 through chapter 2, verse 5. Now, if you're kind of getting used to your Bible, it's kind of in the back here, so here's where it is in mine. Um, Use your table of contents, feel free, or pull it up on an app or or your your phone. And we're going to look at Colossians, chapter 1, beginning at verse 24. And so I'll read the whole thing, and then we'll walk back through a few key chunks uh, along the way. So Colossians 1, verse 24. Now, I rejoice... In what I am suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. This mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. 
To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want, to know how, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those in Laodicea and for those who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in the body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Okay. So what we've got here is that Paul, he's been building the, the introduction of this letter and still the introduction right here. I mean, he's, this is long, beautiful picture of Jesus, but he's still introducing the letter. And now he's offering his own life, his own ministry, as a bit of an example. And so what I want you to see, first of all, is this, that Jesus is the center of Paul's life. So like kind of right out of the gates, I just want to give that idea to you. Jesus is the center of Paul's life. So let's, let's see where that's coming out. So back to verse 24, we're going to look at a few verses here. So let me just highlight a few things. Verse 24, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. Paul is suffering. So a little context, Paul is likely in prison, probably in Ephesus. There's maybe a little ambiguity about where for sure, but he is suffering. He is under arrest and he's doing so. He's under that reality because of his proclamation of the gospel. Why would anyone suffer? Like what, what makes you willing to go to prison Something that you care about, right? Like it's something that is so important to you that you, you're willing to do whatever to hold on to it, to make it true, to, to, to make it a part of your life, right? Like that's the level at which we're talking here. So Paul, he's suffering. He's in prison. He's being persecuted. For what? He talks about this and, and keeps going in, in verse 25. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. See, he's been called by God. If you know Paul's story, but if you don't, here, quick re- recap. He was a Pharisee. He was someone who persecuted Christians. He's like, no, 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 this is, this is wrong. This is not the way it should be. And he went after people. And Jesus met him in a miraculous way and said, no, 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 no. I'm everything. I'm the one you've been looking for. I am truly the Messiah. You've got it backwards. You're persecuting me. And I'm the one you've been waiting for. And Paul has this epic moment of of realization and he, he comes to realize like, yeah, Jesus is the Messiah, the one they've been waiting for. He's the king. He he's the savior. He's the one he's waited for. And so now he's called to proclaim the very word that he was persecuting against. This only happens when Jesus is the center of your life. And so that's what God, he's, he's now calling people to, to follow Christ, to, to proclaim what he himself has come to know. And, and so he goes on in verse 26, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations. This, they've been awaiting this. He's been looking forward to it. But now it's disclosed. Verse 27, 
To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mercy, which is what? Christ in you. Christ in you. This mystery that he talks about, it's the gospel. But ultimately what the gospel is pointing to is this reality that Christ now lives in those who follow him. When we receive Christ, when we like, okay, I want to follow you, what happens is that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. He now, his presence is with us always. This is what Paul looks to and says, not only have our sins been covered over and wiped away, not only have we received righteousness, declared good and in and, and right standing with God, God himself lives with us. Christ inside of us. This is the hope we've been waiting for. To be reunited to the Lord like this. This is what it's all about. Jesus is the center of Paul's life. Because he lives inside of him. The Holy Spirit dwells in each and every one of us who follow Jesus. And so, what he goes to say in verse 28, he, Jesus, is the one we proclaim. It's all about him. I do all of this because of the reality, like, we get the Holy Spirit. We get to live with the Lord. He dwells, his presence dwells with us. Jesus has become center for Paul. And so he proclaims Christ to anyone who will listen. With what goal? To present everyone fully mature in Christ. Like, I don't want you to just hear it. I don't want you to just kind of know about it. Like, I want this to grow into a fruit-bearing plant in your life. This needs to take hold of everything and change your life, make everything better. That, that is what Paul is pointing to. Like, this is what I, I, I do. I come, I, I'm selling, I'm sharing this with everyone. I'm telling everyone about this. Like, I'm doing this because it's good. The Lord dwells with us. And so then you get this final verse, 29. To this end, I strenuously contend. I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. We don't use that word contend very much, right? It's kind of a little bit of, but it strikes us, right? It, it, it means to like struggle, struggle to achieve. What Paul's saying here is like, I am struggling for you and for the gospel. Like, I'm working at this. I'm doing all that I can. I'm struggling. I'm contending. But I'm not doing it on my own. All the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. It's Christ who's working. You know, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. He's the one that's making anything happen in our lives. And so it's him. He's the one that Paul is relying on. So I, I, I point out all of these different facets to kind of really build this just one idea that Jesus, when we follow him, when we trust him, he becomes the center of our lives. It's him. He's at the center. It's everything revolves around it. That's what Paul is illustrating with his own life. All that he is doing centers on Jesus. So much so that he's willing to suffer, to be put in prison, to be persecuted like this, this is what Paul is all about. He is sold out. Nothing is more important. Why? 
Why? What is it really about this that would lead Paul to do this? We, we could go back just a little bit in this, in this chapter and see, like, here's why. But let me grab one other place for you. First John. So the, the gospel writer John, he also wrote some letters, and, and, and he crafts some beautiful language. He writes so simply yet so deeply. But in 1 John chapter 4, we, we get him reflecting on what Christ has done, what God has done in Christ. And so verses 9 and 10, here's what he says. This is how God showed his love among us. He loves us. He loves us more than any. He created us. He wants like, us to know how much value we hold in his mind and his eyes. And so what does he do? He sends his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. He gives us this gift, the gift of a person, Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He provides the way forward for us to live and live with him, through him. And so how does he do that? Verse 10, this is love. Not that we love God, not that we warranted anything, not that we earned it, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Atoning, it means covering. But what he, he's saying here is, I've given my son as a sacrifice for you. I love you this much that I'm willing to give of myself for you. I lay down my life for you. This is what Paul knows. And this is what motivates him. This is why God loves Paul so much so to die for him. God loves you so much so to die for you. This is why Paul makes Jesus the center. This is why Jesus should be the center of our lives. So, when we trust him, it changes everything. And so what we see, back to verse 29 one more time, we see Paul kind of um, embodying this. He's like, I know the reality of Christ's love for me, and so what do I do? I strenuously contend. I give everything that I have for this. Because there is nothing better. There's nothing better. Anything else we might look to and that we might trust, that we might like say, hey, this might give me life. This might give me fulfillment. This might be like what, what I'm looking for. Paul comes in and says, everything falls short. Everything fades. Nothing will come through except Jesus. It's only Jesus. And he demonstrated by dying and being raised back to new life. Like, if he can conquer death, what's going to stop him? There's nothing more. Jesus is the center. And when we trust him, he's to become the center of our lives. So that's what I want you to see. The first aspect, what difference does it make? Jesus becomes the center of our lives. So I want you to pause on that for a second. I want to ask you a question. How true is that for you? When you look at these words on the screen and you see like Jesus is to become the center of our lives, how true is that for you? Maybe you look at that and you're kind of like, yeah, not at all. <laughs> yeah, Jesus, Jesus is not the center. It's good to name that. 
Or maybe you look at that, it's like, yeah, yeah, Jesus is center most of the time. Or maybe you really do feel like Jesus is center. I just want you to like evaluate, like, where, where are you, what's your reaction? Where, where are you feeling like this, you know, represents you? And how do you know? As I was preparing this message and, and kind of realized this idea was coming to, to form and shape here, and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus is to be the center. That's true of Paul. I mean, look at his life. And then I began to actually let that reflect back on me. The scriptures do that. They act as a mirror. And so I started to look at my own life, and I'm like, ooh, how much is Jesus the center? I mean, yes, in my mind, in my heart, like, I want Jesus to be the center. But if I had to actually look at my time, look at how my life plays out, it's like, you know what? Day to day, there are some times that Jesus isn't the center. And, and maybe I don't want that, but how it plays out, like, man, there are things that seem to become more important than Jesus. And it might be good things. Maybe, maybe it's family. Like, I love my family. I love my wife, my kids. We spend a lot of time together. It's good. But do I sometimes let them be the center? Am I giving more to them than I am to Christ? Now, we're to give to our families. Absolutely. But when you look at your life, when you think about this idea, like, what's really, really at the center? What shapes your priorities? What shapes how you spend your time, where you focus your attention, where you give your energy, your passions, your affections? Is Jesus the center? Maybe he's not, and you're like, no, I don't want Jesus. He's great. He wants to challenge that and say, hey, whatever else you're trusting, whatever else you put at the center, it's not going to do better than me. That's what Jesus wants to say. And, and for those of us who know that and, and, and trust that and, and want Jesus to be the center, are we actually following through on it? Or is it a mixed bag? Do we let some other things kind of sit on the priority one slot in our lives? I just offer this as a challenge, as a bit of a mirror. Reflect. What is the center of your life? And how do you know? What tells you, like, yeah, Jesus is or is not my priority? Paul is offering himself as an example. And, and he's challenging us to, to do the same with the Scriptures and look and say, like, is Jesus center or not? And he's wanting to challenge us. So, Jesus is to become the center of our lives. That's the first difference, the gospel, the, the supremacy of Christ, this call to live a life worthy. All of that, what difference it makes? Number one is this. Jesus becomes center. But that's only the first one. There's a second that Paul wants to get to. And so um, what we want to do is we want to keep reading and see what, what else does this lead to. And so that's going to come in the next verses. And so what I want to highlight for you, capture it in, in this way, is that Paul, he works for others' benefit. He works for others' benefit. So Jesus, Jesus is center of Paul's life. And the difference, the other difference it makes is that Paul is working for other people's benefit. So let's see that play out. So Verse 1 of chapter 2. I want you to know how hard I'm contending, working, struggling for you. I'm contending for you. 
And not only you, those in Laodicea. And not just them, the people that I've never met personally. Like, again, what, what leads Paul is Jesus being center, and so he's going to contend for people he's not even met. Well, what is he working towards? Verse 2. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. Be encouraged, built up, like sent forward and energized in your heart, the very core of your being. I want to encourage people. And I want to encourage them to do what? To be united in love, to show love to one another. We're meant to be in community and we're to, to relate to one another the way Christ wants us to. We're to be united in love. So that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. So he's talking here like, I want them to grow in their knowledge, their insight, their, their wisdom, their integration of the gospel into life. So not only do I just want them to know some stuff about things, I want them to integrate it and for it to change them. And what is this? I want them to know Christ. That's what I'm doing all this for. I want them to know Jesus, and I want them to be changed by him. Then he goes on, verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Verse 4, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. See, I don't want anything to distract from the gospel. It's only about Jesus. And we're going to talk more about that as he gets deeper into the letter. But he's like, I don't want anything to distract from the gospel. It's only about Christ. And I want to contend for you in that way. Verse 5, for though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit. We're connected through the spirit, the Holy Spirit. And delighted to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So he's wanting them to stay true to the gospel, to integrate it into life. They, he wants them to grow towards maturity, as he said in verse 27. Like, that's what I'm doing. I'm working for your benefit. And so I, he's saying all of this to say, like, what, what I'm about is to help people experience Jesus at the center as well. Because that's the best place for him to be. See, all these other things we might look to. These things in life that, that promise they're going to give to us what we're looking for, the full life, meaning, fulfillment, a val you know, value and status, like whatever that may be. It may be your family, maybe your work, hobbies that you, you find yourself drawn to, or, or your reputation. Whatever it is, you kind of like, yeah, this, this is what sounds good to me. All of that stuff will fall short. And Paul is contending for everybody to align themselves solely to Jesus as center. So, the second aspect, what we see is that we are to do the same thing. We are to work for others' benefit. And, and I love where Paul captures this in another place. Um, this beautiful passage in, in Philippians chapter 2, where, where he's talking about how, how rich uh, the meaning of the gospel can be. And he, and he paints this picture of Christ coming down and, and becoming like us and, and dying on a cross and then being exalted. And he paints this just beautiful picture. But the implication of it comes right before in verses 3 and 4. So I want you to look at those with me on the screen. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. It's not about you. 
but rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Like consider others so important that what do you do? Verse four, not looking to your own interests, but each of you looking to the interests of others. Suddenly our mind shifts away from ourselves and we begin to think about other people. What's beneficial for them? What do they need? How can I benefit someone else? This others-centered kind of mindset comes when we follow Jesus. And so that's what Paul wants to point to. When we have Jesus as as center, we're going to begin to put other people before ourselves. And that's what he's doing. He's modeling that. He's willing to suffer for them. He's in prison for the gospel so that other people can know the richness of Christ. So we are to work for other people's benefits. That's what Paul wants us to see. So how is this true for you? In the same way, Jesus is to be center. I want to challenge you there. How about here? When you evaluate your life, when you look at how you spend your time, your energy, your attention, how much is it on you? How much is it on other people? And sometimes we might focus our attention on other people to make ourselves feel better. You know, how that sometimes can happen. What Paul is talking about is sacrifice. It's truly not thinking about yourself and just what is beneficial for other people. Are we working for other people's benefits? Do we see needs and attempt to meet them in a healthy way? Are we mindful of how we can come alongside other people? That is the challenge we see from Paul. Will we allow Christ to be center and move us away from ourselves towards others? See, Jesus, he he walked this, this earth for a few years, and the way that he carried himself... The way that he interacted with people, he was others-centered, others-focused. He saw people, especially the people that people don't want to see, the marginalized, those who, who are often put on the outside. Those are the people that he saw. He healed people. He met their needs. He, he ministered to them. He expressed the love of God by what he did and what he said. People were benefited by their interactions with him. Are we the same way? When people look at us, when they interact with us, are they benefited? Is there a difference made? This is the challenge of the text. Will we let Jesus be the center and will we let Jesus move us to be others-centered? To work for others' benefit? So those are the two differences that we see in Paul. Jesus is center of his life, and he works for others' benefit. So here's here's the challenge. I just want you to walk away. If you hear nothing else, here's, here's what I want you to take away. Give your life to Jesus and for others. If you haven't yet committed to making Jesus center, that's the best place for you to find life. If you're looking for it elsewhere, it's going to fall short. Jesus is supreme. He's above all things. When we trust him, when we align ourselves to him, we're going to find life. 
we're going to find what we truly need. Now, maybe you have made that choice and you're pursuing him, but sometimes it feels like there's other things that are sitting on the throne. That's okay. We're all going to fall short. But here now is awareness. Let's continue to pursue him more deeply. Contend, struggle, work for this, not out of earning, but out of a place of like, I so passionately want Jesus to be the center. Will you let that be true of you? What's going to happen is we're going to see others. We're going to move towards others. We're going to work for their benefit. That, that is what's going to take place. So give your life to Jesus and to others. Now, if you're wondering, like, okay, that sounds good, but it feels like it's up here. Like, what, do, what can I do? What are some measures or, or things that I can put in place that are going to help me get after this? I have three quickly that I want to throw at you. These are all in the, the letter to Colossians. So here, here's my suggestions for you that we see based on Paul's life. First one, prayer. Prayer. You might kind of like, oh, really? Yes. This whole letter is, is soaked in prayerful thanksgiving. Paul starts out the letter. He's like, I'm so thankful every time I pray for you, and I'm continuing to pray for you. And he's contending. How is he contending? Probably by prayer. Like, if he's stuck in prison, what else can he do but pray? So, how's your prayer life? Now, my call is not to, like, you need to ramp it up, but yes, that, but wherever you are, maybe you're praying nothing, or maybe you're praying a little bit, take it up a notch. Bring up one notch from wherever you are in your prayer life, and let that be others-focused. I found in my own life, especially when, you know, hit hard times or, you know, things just get stressful or whatever, I'm, I'm praying what I'm asking for of God. And, and it's good to do that. But we can become self-focused, right? And God wants to hear that. He's, he's always there with us. He knows what's going on. He wants us to voice that to him. So don't hear that you shouldn't. But are you praying for other people too? Are you praying for the, the things that are going on in their lives? Are you praying for opportunities for them to come to know Jesus? Are you praying for their benefit? Pray. Wherever you are, take it up one notch. And see the fruit that God may want to bring in that act. So that's number one. My suggestion for you, prayer. Commit to that. Number two, proclaim Jesus in word and deed. And what this means is, is what Paul talking about, like, I'm contending for, for everybody to know the gospel, and so learn to proclaim Jesus in what you say and in what you do. I think sometimes we think we've got to know, like, the gospel and got to be able to present it in, in two minutes and, and have everybody be convinced, like, yes, that's helpful, but that's not the goal. The goal is for people to look at us and just see a person saturated in the Lord. They can't help but just not see Jesus all over us. The words we speak, the, the way that we carry ourselves, the things that we do and don't do. We are to proclaim Jesus with all that we are. I think that, that is what Paul wants us to see. What he wants to point to. It's not just this like, okay, here, I'll drop something in. Like, no, no, no. It's everything resonating Jesus. Can people just see Jesus in all that we say and do? So, evaluate that. What's one area right now that, man, I can, I can be a little bit more like Jesus. And ask him to help you. Start with one thing. 
where can I be just a little bit more like Jesus? So that's number two. Proclaim Jesus in word and deed. And then finally, serve the benefits of others. Start to see. Start to look for where can I be helpful to somebody? Where can I make a difference? Where can I input some good news of gospel the truth of God's love, the grace that he offers. Where can I bring benefit to other people and meet that need? Look for it. Pursue it and just wherever you can see, just here, let me offer something. Maybe we can do that a lot. Maybe we just do it a little, but wherever we can find it, where we step forward, we have that kind of posture. So that's number three, serve the benefit of others. So again, tying it all back together, what we see with Paul is this call, this challenge to give our lives to Jesus and we're to give it over for the sake of other people. So how are you doing with that? I hope there's a measure of feeling a little uncomfortable, a little challenge. I want to remind you of what Paul has already said. This is not something that you've got to fix not something that you can make happen. It is Christ in us. It's him. It's his presence dwelling inside of us. That is where this happens. So we can't make it a reality. We can't manufacture it. We receive. So when you put yourself in a posture to receive, say, all right, Jesus, I want this to be true of me. He'll gladly step in and then begin to do his work. So will you let him? Will we be the kind of people that are just so saturated in Jesus Christ that people can't help but see him in us? I think that's what you look at with Paul. I'd love for that to be true of us. Can we be a church family, a community where this is true? Where we look like Jesus? Church, let's commit to this. Give your life to Jesus and to others. Would you pray with me? God, this feels probably challenging because, man, we don't measure up. We, we can't do this on our own, but God, remind us of the good news that it's not us. It's you. You're the one who does any of this. We can look to you to make this true of us. So God, I pray that as we reflect on this, as we walk out of here today, would we not just leave it behind in this room, but would we take it with us? And would we see the difference that you make, that the gospel makes, and when we continue to grow into maturity towards it? So Lord, we want you to be the center. We don't want anything else to sit on the throne. We want you to be the center. And we want that to change us to benefit other people. So help us, God, to do that. Help us to be different because of it. Lord, we love you, we trust you, and we set our eyes on you alone. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.